1: to another episode of Supernatural The Crossroads post-series 2021 is the new subtitle to our show here. A a little mini spin-off sequel. I don't really know, but that's something we're trying. I am your host, Thomas Cowley. Joined with me, I've got Ryan Denton. Fuck yeah! Doing some porn voiceover or something like that. Fuck yeah. (laughs) And Michael Flores.
0: Hi. Hi. And he's he's a producer behind
1: he's the guy behind the camera apparently.
0: What was that voice? I don't know. It's my cute voice. It, that's, that's your cute, cute, on. cute that's voice. Not hi. hi, hi. This that,
2: is my
0: cute voice. That's not cute.
2: No, it
1: sounds. Oh, never mind. Sounds like a Smurf did helium. Yeah. Oh. All right. So this episode is going to be a little bit different than other things we've done because we do live in a post series world, which is a sad, dark place compared to where we all once were. But, you know, we're trying our best to to live and adapt to the situation we, we find ourselves in.
0: We've had to result, resort to drug use a little bit a, yeah. little bit. a little bit. On those nights where Supernatural used to air, I find myself looking for a vein. Mm hmm.
2: I, I typically let my vein, I have a vein mm-hmm. that gets larger, but that's, that's,
0: you know. You inject into Ooh. that vein? I, no, you I can. use that
2: vein to inject into other.
0: Stuff.
2: So
1: you use a
0: vein to
1: inject? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. I find I cry myself to sleep less Oh, oh as wow. time has I mean, gone on. Oh, that's
0: dark. Yeah. I see what you're doing mm-hmm. there. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. So in the previous episode, we returned for the second half of our podcast season with an RPG session, which was, as they've been, graphic, chaotic, overly sexual and disturbing. And a bit dumb. And a bit dumb. So go check that out if you (laughs) haven't. (laughs) But with this, we officially start the first of a six part series our 2021 post series discussion where we're going to take a nuanced look at something far more serious which i know please don't leave just yet but i there, promise
2: guys there will be dick and there fart there will jokes.
1: be dick and fart jokes that I'm is here. a guarantee I'm ryan not going is anywhere. here but we're actually going to be talking about the direction of jensen eccles and how he directed the episodes of supernatural when what we're trying to do is look at how he did it is there a unique style to his work and really break this down in a different way that I don't think many people are accustomed to or aware of or even look for?
0: Well, cause we are not even sure if Jensen has a definitive style and that's yeah. the reason. Now we know he's good and we know that the episodes he directs are, are quite good, but that doesn't mean every director has a signature style. So the goal of this series of discussions where we're going to break down all of Jensen's episodes, we want to look for recognizable techniques that could be identified as defining markers of his technique or his style.
1: Now, so with that, some people may not know exactly what we're talking about with style, but basically the short version is you kind of know a J.J. Abrams movie, a Spielberg movie, a Ridley Scott movie. By how they look, when you see it. There's yeah, there's of a lens flare. There's a distinct visual style to some of what they do, or they're very particular about lighting, or they're particular about how they tell the story through their directing, through the blocking, through the camera work. Yep. And some people have very specific things that they've developed over the years. JJ Abrams and a lens flare is a internet meme level version of understanding this but it is accurate it is true and and it can be things that are more obvious like the way a scene is between two characters is blocked out and and by that we mean where they're standing what's the pacing where they move how things physically happen within the space
0: and what's the level of intimacy between the two hopefully very intimate
2: and there's the dig and fart joke yes we're getting there that that was a subtle one you didn't have to tell (laughs) them they got it.
1: So that's one aspect that can be very easily I, I, I one example that I learned about in film school of this kind of style is Spielberg's The Gaze, where you have throughout throughout all of his movies. He has his characters stare in wonder off to something off screen.
0: OK, yeah, like welcome. Dude, Jurassic, Jurassic Park.
1: Park that has it ET has it uh, close encounters is f- like the whole last half hour is just that <laughs> like, <laughs> like it really is you know but it, it's something about how he perceives the world and what he's trying to get across in his films and his films are a lot about wonder and and amazement amazement yeah. that's, that's the fucking perfect Wait, word Jurassic Park yeah. isn't real no it's real Fuck yeah! Um, so that's a good example, but they can also be other things like s- typical types of settings or how. Like I would say, Tim Burton
0: is a great setting example. Well, all this, his all sets, everything looks the same. What what about, distorted, or, like, weird, ter- uh, surreal? A technical term for that would be the Misenson, yeah, Misenson, which yeah, so includes you get French with it, which is everything in that frame, and that is a perfect way to to define a Tim Burton film. Mm. He uses the mise-en-scene to let people know, hey, look, this is my world I've created. This
1: is a Tim Burton film yeah. you're watching. Hmm. Props, themes, I use that word. you know, various other things can be all a part of a director's particular style. And it is true that some of this may not all be on the director specifically. Some of these things will fall on the shoulders of other members of the team and, and the production team most probably production design set design mm-hmm. things like that costumes and various looks but most very very prominent directors have some semblance of style to them and i and i don't want this to sound shitty but i would say more average or run-of-the-mill directors are just kind of putting the episode together and getting through the event.
0: When it comes to television specifically, like with with movies, directors are going to definitely impose a lot more of their style. It's a lot more
1: weight as a director for a film versus television.
0: Yeah, and not every director has a signature signature style. When when I say signature style, uh, typically I mean a tour style. That's someone like Tim Burton. That's someone like Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino, People that have Uh, a way of saying something within their, their work. Mm -hmm. Now, typically television doesn't allow for that, for the director to do that. Yeah. Some TV shows do. And that's part of what we're going to do with this discussion on Jensen, because as you mentioned, you know, many of these elements that we're talking about, they might not fall on the shoulders of Jensen himself or the directors of TV. And as you said, specific production team is where they may rest. But we are going to dissect these episodes and see if Jensen's style dictates or imposes a quality that other episodes do not. Is there something being done in every single episode that Jensen directs that is not being done typically in- by the other episodes' yes. directors? Yeah.
1: And yeah, I think you made a good point when it comes to TV, especially with something like Supernatural, the production design set design team and even maybe the cinematography is probably more akin to that signature style because they're part of every episode every season whereas directors are fly by night come as you go i mean jensen himself did six episodes over 10 years almost yeah that's that's not something that Everyone who's on the production team was doing every episode. Right. You know, so some of that falls into their wheelhouse. Yeah,
0: typically the ones who control the the look of a TV show Mm -hmm. is, of course, the showrunner and the cinematographer or the camera department. Because they're the ones that are dealing with everything day in, day out. And the directors are more of leadership. You know, they help uh, do little things here and there. But they can't really impose too much of their style because it can break the show. They're not here every single day of production. But there are directors that do find their ways of doing just that, imposing their style. For one, that stands out on Supernatural is Richard Spade. Yeah. Uh, His first four episodes that he directed, you could tell they were directed by him. He had a very specific style and he imposed his vision on that episode. Now, the only reason why he was able to do that is because... The way the episode was written allowed him to impose that style. He didn't take a regular episode that dealt with the main myth arc and decided to fuck it up. Right. With his own idea or or visual look with, when it comes to imagery. He was able to take his style and put it into episodes where it did That's work fit. without breaking.
1: Yeah. So this, as we said, is going to be a little bit different. We're kind of going into this blind because we don't know if Jensen has. We haven't really discussed it a lot.
0: We haven't. We tend to like his episodes, but we've never actually sat down and analyzed his episodes.
1: Outside of our traditional episode as a whole, how does it work, breakdown. Not him as a director work. So this will be a little bit different to see if we can determine does he have a signature style. And with that, we're not necessarily reviewing these episodes in the traditional way Mm -hmm. that we've done it before, we're looking for specific stylistic choices and how he puts an episode together, not necessarily the quality of the episode's writing, narrative
0: itself. We're not imposing our review critique glasses on. We're putting on our critical analysis glasses, Mm. which are two very different things.
1: You keep them in different cases.
0: And that's why Ryan has already fallen asleep. Yep. I mean, like...
2: I, I, I'm, I'm saving my good questions for the bulk of the discussion. Thank you very much. Right. I do actually all have right. questions. Uh, <laughs> but yes, this is. I like is, how he has questions. I do. Well, I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to talk
0: I, about I, here. I'm a listener in this episode. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm, so I'm, I'm basically. I love you guys. I'm so a fan. He's, so you guys, he's
2: the audience insert. So, all you guys that are dozing off during this, this, uh, this you know, is so but, meta. You're, but you're very, very, you know, supportive of us and <laughs> you listen to us all the time. I'm here for you. I feel you. Uh, I'm in the studio, almost dying, uh, but I am going to ask some good questions—the real hard-hitting <laughs> questions. Like, do you think Jensen gets a pee break oh. during his, di- you know, directing, or does he, you know, how does that work? You know, is, you know, that, I think it is says, the director seat comfortable? You know, the things that does are, he ever fart while Does he, he ever fart? Like, does he? Have to I do think a take? it says
1: a lot that not only is Ryan alluding to the fact that people would literally rather die than listen to these kind of discussions. But also that we desperately need him at times. So that's an interesting little sample. Well, you know, look,
2: I, 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 uh, I don't want to
1: brush my own shoulder
2: off here. He but said, "Brushing his shoulder." Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I thought we might be on video, so that's why I did that. Um, <laughs> everyone uh, needs a helping hand. Everyone needs. A
0: I don't want to brush my own shoulder off, but, but I I'm will. doing it. But as I, I say that, as if um, that's I a phrase. I just want to point out, it's
2: toot your own horn. I just want to point out that um, some of the highest rated shows on this network and on this supernatural podcast are my, uh, month of just complete debauchery. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, look, we've got to slow down the smut a little. We've been on it for a while. Yeah. We've been yeah, on some so smut for a while. So I'm bearing with you. I will not, I promise I will not fall asleep. I might doze off. You know, it's kind of one of those oh, are the same oh. thing. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, just, I won't fall asleep asleep. I'm not going to hit REM. I'm I not like going to hit REM sleep. Okay, okay. There you go. Yeah. Okay. There's the distinction. Had to get the the medical diagnosis. I didn't it even it pick up room. on it until Thomas said it. Those are the same things. <laughs> no, it just one of, one of these isn't falling asleep. But, but, I'm not falling asleep, but I'm dozing off. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So before Ryan completely passes out, which apparently is also different,
0: the six episodes that we're going to be talking I'm not about, pass out, but that's, I am, am going to be unconscious. That's just, Rem, that's I, Rem
2: sleep. Rem sleep, you know, REM sleep's different than unconscious. Unconscious means you just knocked out, you know? So, okay.
1: Whatever, so the dude. six episodes that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks are Weekend at Bobby's, The Girl Next Door, Heartache, Soul Survivor, The Bad Seed, and Atomic Monsters. All episodes directed by Jensen. So we are starting this week with the chronological first one, Weekend at Bobby's, broadcast in 2010, episode four, season six, which was (laughs) shockingly. (laughs) What do you mean, shockingly? At the time, perfectly made sense. Post-series, shocking. But this one was (laughs) written by Andrew Dabb, (laughs) <laughs> and Daniel Laughlin,
2: probably, which,
1: probably like ninety six percent Daniel Laughlin. Well, we've made the distinction before. We've talked. About, I don't want to get into writing a whole lot on this, but we talked a lot about those two were a powerful team. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Adam has yeah. Andrew has great ideas. It's the execution that would falter, and Daniel clearly was the the anchor to that, or
0: just the one who could write cohesively. Meaning, yeah, it, when you have a writing team, not doesn't mean both can write the hell out of a script. It means one might just be a great story guy with all the ideas. And then the other person takes those puts ideas it into practice and yeah. And adapts those words into screen for, you know, screenplay format and makes it work. It does make you wonder though, what would have happened if Daniel Laughlin never left Mm-hmm. And Andrew Dabb and Daniel Laughlin, being the writing powerhouse that they were for many years, the two of them became the showrunners. Well, we'd probably still be talking about new episodes. Oh, fuck. Ooh. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I was just saying that we would have had a lot stronger seasons towards the end. Or, or you know, both. there wouldn't be. There wouldn't
1: be I an think end. both. I genuinely think we'd have had stronger episodes to this day and we'd still be
0: going. Because I can't name one bad episode that Andrew Dabb and Daniel Laughlin, Laughlin wrote together. They're all pretty fucking strong. Yeah. And some of our favorite episodes, to be completely honest.
1: Weekend at Bobby's, for example.
0: And the God's Hammer or Hammer of the Gods. Hammer of the Gods, yeah. Fucking one of my all-time favorite episodes.
1: Yellow Fever. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not going to get into that. No, that's another discussion. That's a whole other discussion for when we get to that retrospective. But with this, we're going to go into a couple of terms that we want to give a little bit of context for. So, each episode, every every film, every episode of television has different levels to it. Different levels of meaning. And I think anybody who's been listening to the show long enough kind of gets what we're going to be talking about here. Where there's the surface level, what's happening. That is referred to as referential meaning. Which, the referential meaning is the surface level. The, the summary of the plot. The most simplistic interpretation. Hero, villain, Death Star, Empire, that kind of thing. Beyond that is a lot of what we talk about in our deep dives and our breakdowns. We
0: very rarely talk about referential meaning because, for example, an episode like this, weekends at Bobby's, would be we get an inside or behind-the-scenes look at Bobby's work as a hunter. Yeah. While he's trying to get his soul back What from does Bobby do every yeah. day
1: while Sam and Dean are off hunting? That's the reverential meaning.
0: But then there are other levels of meaning that require a more closer look at what's being said. And if you're a good writer, and all of the writers in Supernatural, for the most part, do put more meaning within each episode. Not all TV shows do. A lot of, you know, right. CSI is probably... Surely referential meaning. Yeah.
1: (laughs) For the most part. So beyond that, though, there is explicit meaning. Explicit meaning is a deeper level about what one would expect to find a film's message or moral or point to be about. For example, the change that a character goes through is an example of explicit meaning. Luke's journey from farm boy with dreams of the stars to hero of the rebel Alliance mm-hmm. and the change that he goes through that, you know, standing up for what's right and doing things that are tough when anyone else would run away. Some of the story meaning that is explicitly stated without actually someone saying you're the hero, Luke, and you've changed a lot over the course of this last, you know, two to three weeks. That depending sounds on just how like obi
0: One. Yeah. Or <laughs> another example would be like, let's say you have an episode of Full House back in the 80s and yeah. the sisters all steal money from their father. Right. And at the end of the episode, Uncle the, Jesse the sets lesson, him down. Yeah. And the lesson is you don't steal. That's the explicit meaning of the episode. That's the moral or the point. You got it, dude. Wow. Thank you. I just put I that together. Like, man, I was waiting for someone to it's get It's been this. a while. I knew exactly, but. You know, I wasn't gonna give you anything. It's been wow. a while. I was gonna make you work for the laugh. Wow, I were I thought that was a good. Really? Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I want to say good. Yeah. I'd say well, what what line
0: is like from Full House? Could I have said an appropriate callback? Is what I'd say. It, oh, there yeah, you go. You Sorry. were saying so the implicit meaning is the third level of meanings in film or TV, and it it's more abstract and below the surface than explicit meaning. Uh, implicit meaning affords more room for disagreement and competing claims which is something we do a lot on this show in fact that's probably what we do the most when we break down episodes we are about breaking that implicit meaning uh, the the unsaid the things within the subtext if there's,
1: there's a good example of that for uh, the season finale of season 2 there's a moment in which Ellen talking to Bobby and, and Dean and Sam about how so many people died and in, in the uh, roadhouse burning and she was the only one left alive and how messed up that was that she's left standing and all those good people died. And then the camera cuts straight to Dean after he had made his deal with the crossroads demon. Yeah, The implicit meaning there is what we're talking about with survivors guilt What one would be willing to do to save others. The ramification of Dean's decision. Win. Definitely win. Sam finds that out. It's not stated. It's not obvious to the characters change necessarily within the context of an episode. But it is, again, implicitly implied that's where the term even comes from. It's implied through what we're saying and the events that are happening, but it is something that other people may argue or get more abstract about. It's a little bit harder to definitively quantify. So, and then the last version that we're going to be talking about is symptomatic meaning, which is essentially the other three levels wrapped into one. It's a film's story as well as what it's trying to say. It's What is it all about? What is this entire story trying to say? What is the ideology of the writers behind it or the directing choices? Why would they do the things they did? What are they saying about societal values or family values or the message as a whole beyond what is actually happening, what we're implying through the characters change and what's happening that we're not talking about, what we're alluding to. And this is essentially what is all of this wrapped up
0: mean and that's typically what I do for you people that watch or not watch listen to my Star Trek podcast or my Doom Patrol podcast that's typically what I I break down in those episodes where it's me and one other person and we have that type of time where we can really get into Star Trek was a great of example
1: of as a show back when it was quality <laughs> I would say uh, yeah.
0: all of these things coming together Absolutely. in a frankly weekly basis yeah yeah Now, for the purpose of this discussion, Thomas, this is what we're going to be looking at for the most part. When we talk about meaning or intent as we break down Jensen's work as a director, that's what we're going to be focusing on, the symptomatic meaning. So that's why we just went through these levels so that people right. can follow along and understand what we're trying to. Right. So if you guys ascertain. are following
2: along at home, symptomatic is spelled S-Y-M-P-T-O-M-A-T-I-C. So you guys can go ahead and look that up uh on your dictionary because we, we we're supposed look to have Look it a, up
1: on your dictionary. We're supposed
2: to have yeah well you, yeah they, they probably have a computer they can go to dictionary.com. Yeah. So um you know, we probably should have a thesaurus and a dictionary at home. If, if you guys are listening along,
0: why are you why you try? Are you is your? Am I? Yes, my your implicit, implicit meaning, meaning is that, that our listeners bored. are stupid.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe or or bored or
1: maybe a okay. little above. The fact that you can argue that is a great example of implicit meaning. And that's exactly why I did it. And yeah, Ryan's okay. explicit meaning in
0: his words <laughs> is, uh, "I'm bored. Move on." Can
1: <laughs> <laughs> fuck you guys. Can
0: we get and the, the reverential it? meaning is Ryan is stupid. <laughs> 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 See, there's an example of all four. Yeah, that was way easier. I, I like uh, Ryan's dumbed-down version of our show. There you go. <laughs> it works, though.
1: So typically when it comes to TV, the directors don't always have a say in a lot of this. This is, like we said, will be more of a showrunner's thing over the course of a whole season. But they are still responsible for taking the script, the direction, the the or the camera work, the actors, and putting all of this and delivering something that will hopefully meet the mark. And this is the distinction between a good director and, and I would say a weaker one is if a lot of that meaning, the subtext, the implicit meanings, what it's all trying to say is lost in translation between writer and director, or if it cuts through and has the impact that was originally intended. Well, so my my ultimate question
2: for, for this is obviously we're we're in season six, right? right, so we're six seasons in jensen is is trying his hand at directing for the first time. What percentage do they do they let him kind of have free reigns because he is Jensen and say, "Hey, look, we want you to to direct this episode. no you know nobody's gonna be back door driving the episode and you're just sitting in the director's seat. I wonder with Jensen how much free reign they gave him on his first episode? As opposed to obviously like he did six episodes. So I would say the fifth or sixth when they were just like, you know, so I
0: always wonder about that because like, it just depends. It yeah. depends on the TV show when you have these types of, I call them vanity directing positions. Right.
2: This is what we talked about before we went on air. Like, yeah,
0: typically it's more of a vanity thing. It's yeah. A, and I'm not saying vanity. It's a as credit, a van- right? Yes. Yeah. It's a vanity credit. Um, but then you have those people who are trying their hand at directing because it's something they are passionate about or they're thinking of doing more of. Okay. Um, and I think in this scenario, Jensen has always had that that creative want.
2: He, he, stri- he strikes me as a person who, who wants to know everything about his craft. Mm-hmm. And his craft is obviously acting, but that whole world of TV shows or movies or whatever he's doing, he strikes me as someone who would want to know to be a jack of all trades.
0: And to be perfectly honest, in my opinion, in order to be a good director, you sometimes have to be an actor or at Mm -hmm. least understand what it feels and is to be an an actor. actor. So sometimes if an actor is skilled in directing, they tend to be very good At directing because they understand what it means to bring things out, at least from the emotional side when it comes to acting. So I would say on a on a film set like this, I mean, you got to think Jensen's been already on set for six years. Right. Mm -hmm. He's been in the TV business, I want to say, for already 15 years plus at this point. At this point. Yeah. He's well aware of what directing entails. Well, plus, I'm
1: sure that we know he had a good relationship with Kim Manners, who was the direct standout director for the first couple of seasons. And he wouldn't just jump into this completely blind. So I think there have yeah, been a lot of times him talking to Kim, talking to other directors, trying to learn as much as he could. So with, with who he is and how much he's cared would probably determine and his relationship with Sarah Gamble. Do we let him have free right. reign? What and, do we want him to do?
2: And that—that that was one of the things, like, because when, when we cover these shows, because we've been covering shows on the CW for for so long, and you always see, well, you know, so and so is directing this episode of Arrow or this episode of Flash, and you're like, okay, is this person just doing this to get a credit, or are they doing it because they actually want to try their hand at directing and they're interested in possibly making, you know, once they're done acting, moving into maybe directing? And so you, so like that was my. Yeah, and yeah. I think that was my biggest question. Like, you know, okay, clearly he liked it. He did it six times, right? So, and now we know he's got other things he's working on besides right. acting. So, it it's always interesting to me. Like, I always wonder, you know, is this first one, did he get free reign? Did he have to kind of like have someone help him? I always wonder about, and that's obviously that stuff we probably will never know
0: because we're not on set. I think Thomas hit it on the head. I mean, he was had a close relationship with Kim Manners. I think everyone did. And he was a bit of a mentor on that set Yeah, for everyone, even Kripke. He was a mentor to Kripke in a lot of ways. That's why when he died, it hit the entire set. So pretty hard. Yeah. So I would say Jensen probably learned a lot from watching Manners and the other talented directors on, on set.
1: Yeah. And the thing too, I think is if you, look at this episode he clearly had a lot of reverence for the show still right. so and i think the fact that it is more of a fun throwaway episode means there's a little bit more freedom if he were to do something a little bit more exaggerated I, but i
2: i agree to, like I, it's funny like i agree but i kind of disagree like as a throwaway episode because you learn so.
1: It's a world building. It's a phenomenal world building yeah, and world, Bobby episode. Yeah, yeah, but I it think, does not matter necessarily to the season six narrative. Okay, that's fair. And that's yeah. where I say that, that, quote throwaway. It's not yeah. really like it's not. You know, we learned a lot. A in lot this of episode. other ones that we've like had, you have but, to you
2: have to remember what we learned in this episode. Like Mike and I even talked about this before we went on air. This is the first episode they 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 burn bones to.
1: Oh yeah, it's but, great. It's yeah. great world building. Yeah, yeah, so there's
2: a quite a bit of like you know of of big breaking and things great character development. For yeah, Bobby. so it, it, well even that and Crowley. Yeah, so it's very interesting. Like um, I just that, that was the, my big question. Like I always wondered, like when they when you see these celebrities do, you know, oh, I'm, I'm directing my first episode of the show I'm on, and you're like, Neato, and like it, does it really mean anything? But I I
1: think I would say the greatest litmus test, on average, to me is. Did this episode stand out or was this just another episode? Yeah. And it's not just supernatural. That's anything. No, that's everything, right. That had a a guest director. So let's take a look at what the episode is saying and then we'll we'll get into more whether or not Jensen had specific choices that were trying to bring elements to the surface. So, yeah. So. First off, it's clear there are two parallel meanings working together. One that implies the actual narrative that works to bring about consistency to the themes, to the the season as a whole. A type of continuity, essentially, that is, I guess, explicit or implicit, depending on your point of view, about the characters. There's the narrative of what's going on with Bobby who he is as a character, where he's at, the events that have occurred. Because this is four episodes after the near apocalypse, you know, so there's a lot of stuff that's gone on in his life. And second, there's a more direct meaning motivated by what the audience will engage with, what we're attached to, what we care about. So, It's what this means. Essentially. The first meaning is. And this is what we're going to be focusing on a little bit more is the Bobby is a selfless character. He really fucking is. This is where we get to see a lot more of who he is throughout. And I think part of this comes for me when I was rewatching season two. Frankly, most of season two and all of Bobby's appearances, but. We see him through the lens of Sam and Dean in brief stints for a lot of the show, not later. He becomes a much larger character. I would say after seasons around season two, season three and four, he grows into his own a little bit more. And they even kind of clearly changed how impactful he was to their life as time went on. But we never really saw what he does, what he struggles with, what he goes through. He just flies in, helps the brothers out and, and flies out again for a lot of the show in the beginning So this was on the surface level showing us what he is going through, how he perseveres on a regular basis through incredibly trying times and kind of this episode to highlight his paternal role in Sam and Dean's life.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to fully state that thesis in our meanings because we're going to be going back to that throughout our, throughout our example. So what is the first meaning? To show Bobby's selfless contributions to the hunting world, his perseverance through emotionally trying times and to highlight his paternal role in Sam and Dean's life, i.e. providing supportive presence, being available when needed, offering bonded insight and acting as an informed advocate. That's important to state explicitly so that When we go through our examples, the listeners will then be able to derive meaning from our example and what we are discussing in the way of our definitions of the first implied meaning. Now, the second meaning is simply put, the episode was a love letter to Bobby Singer, a way to denote fan affection for a character that we have grown to love. So
1: has Jensen brought across through his directing style all of these aspects of who Bobby is as a character, what he means to Sam and Dean and the show. And also does he do a good job about highlighting and, and giving Bobby his essentially his 15 minutes of fame equivalent? (laughs) Yeah. You know, and as we said, we'll focus on the former. So we're going to look at exactly what scenes may give us some proof to that or lend credibility to Jensen's ability to bring that across. And
0: there may be none.
1: But as we go through this, we'll see. So, in the very beginning, the first couple of minutes, there's the scene between Crowley and Bobby, which I gotta say, real quick, I, it's been a while since I watched this episode. I fucking loved that whole beginning. Great. Crowley's quips are amazing. So they good. have to outthink each other. The <clears throat> the hellhound being there and, and we're like, oh, Bobby's so smart. Fuck, Crowley's smarter. Damn it. Cut to black. You're like, son of a bitch. Like, I miss. So much of that thinking out the chess move
0: feeling. There's so much charisma. Dude, there that just is. comes from Mark Shepard. From the moment he enters that scene, when he snaps his finger just to turn the TV yeah. off, there's no there. reason for him to do that. And yet it adds so much to who, who he, is. he is. Yeah. Yeah. There's little things like that.
1: I fucking loved that whole bit, but we also have the aspect that we brought up earlier is how the scene is blocked and, and the pacing Throughout that. How is Bobby framed? How is Crowley framed? They are on opposite ends of each other. They keep a distance from each other. They are even little things that you don't think about necessarily. The whiskey is a great example, I feel. The whiskey is not only narratively important because it's a clue that Bobby uses to determine where Crowley is and find the bones, and that's what matters in the end. Something in the first couple of minutes that most people might think Craig or Craig, whatever the hell the whiskey's name was, passing comment. But it also shows they won't share a drink together. And yep. this shows the distance between these two characters, not just physically, but they will they are not friends, they are not allies, they are enemies. Compare that to Dean and Crowley in season ten and how much change he has gone through. Now I'm jumping seasons, but the point remains the same. He literally will share a drink with all of them later in his life. Yep.
0: Yeah, I think it's a powerful aspect. It's something that I that I didn't pick up on until you said, but you're absolutely right because the blocking is is constructed in a very precise way to create or convey an idea of isolation. The fact that Crowley doesn't even drink with Bobby, mm-hmm. it actually aids and assists in the idea that Bobby's alone. Yeah. That he's all by himself. Drinking alone. Drinking alone, not even a demon's willing to drink with him. And that just adds more impact to everything we're about to go through when it comes to some of these sequences. because. A lot of meaning can be derived from blocking, which is a television director's responsibility. Yeah. How do you block? That is something they absolutely have say in. Sure, the cinematographer will have his input because he's a He'll part of that.
1: he say what looks good, but he yeah. doesn't necessarily, quote, care about where the actors move unless it fucks something up. Right. <laughs> you know.
0: So when we have that scene after Crowley essentially tells Bobby to piss off, uh, Jensen and the cinematographer, they dolly the camera backward as Bobby moves symmetrically into frame. And in the final seconds of the scene, we see Bobby between the doorway of the living room, essentially creating a frame within a frame, which gives off the impression of confinement and isolation, which backs the previous scene where Crowley is refusing to drink with him. So this entire setup is designed to create a moment that we understand what's going to be happening throughout the episode. That this isn't going to be a fun-loving episode where Bobby gets to kick it with the boys. This is him being alone Mm -hmm. during a time when he probably could benefit from having some of his own emotional support. Well, what
1: I also like about that is that it starts, the episode starts with them on opposite ends of each other. Crowley is right justified in his wide shots. Bobby's more left justified. They're literally on the opposite sides of each other. And then when he is alone, like you said, they slowly move him to the center to emphasize that complete
0: isolation. Yeah. Maybe people don't know what blocking is, blocking is a very simplistic way of explaining it. It's basically where you position your people uh, in relation to the camera and how the camera is going to move as the subjects move. And the reason why this blocking works to help with meaning, because as our thesis stated, Bobby lives a selfless life, which makes it easy to surmise that Bobby lives a lonely life, single and void of relationships outside of hunting circles. His life is consumed with hunting, filling his duties to the hunting world, uh, and there is no time for personal wants. And there is a subsequent scene that strengthens the meaning of Jensen's chosen camera blocking, and that is the interplay between Bobby and his neighbor, which interplay. is also. So is that like, is that back like and a, forth? A, not sexual. Oh, it's not sexual. If thing? you want it to be, we can make it sexual. How does that? How does that work? Um. Well, you enter and then you play.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. I get that one. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. I've seen that before. I think you yeah. enter and then you play. Oh, I've, oh seen, my God. I've seen that in you films. You can play with Hot it's Wheels. It's a different type of you film. Can, yeah.
0: Well, gerbils too, right? Oh, that'll, wow. in, that'll enter and play. Yeah. Holy fuck, <laughs> <laughs> you can enter and play with titties,
2: okay, okay you know, yeah, yeah, t- i'm st- okay, I'm starting to understand though,
0: <laughs> okay, cool. he's gotta
2: put it in like yeah. you know this is how you block
0: cameras for porn, oh okay,, yeah.
2: so like blocking a camera would be like if the 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 male porn star's butt is here, and then the girl's here, mm-hmm. and the butt's like
0: in your focal, right, yeah, you ever wonder why. Um, all male porn stars when they're boning a chick from behind they're slightly to the side so you can and see that's the proper camera blocking. Yeah. so you can see the him enter and yeah. penetrate
2: enter, enter and play yeah there and you go I yeah. just broke down porn the
1: <laughs>
0: implicit aspect
1: is that you don't see his face because nobody wants that I don't the see most his face, part yeah. the general demographic being horny uh, men. that is
0: very observant of yeah. you Thomas yeah. you're absolutely right mm-hmm.
1: it's not until you the,
0: the, see guys okay, I'm
1: not gonna, we're not going to do this we're not going to
2: do here, this I'm here to get the real <laughs> meanings of this stuff okay the ones that really people care about.
0: Yeah, Jensen was listening. He's all these guys are good. These guys, <laughs> <know> <laughs> what they're talking about. These guys are awful. <laughs>
2: wow.
1: He knows all about entering and playing. So even Jesus. So even before, real quick, Mike. Even before the uh, the neighbor scene, I abs- I want to say fan gush moment. I absolutely love the montage of Bobby with with the library. And figuring out the book. First of all, great music choice. Classic Supernatural. But even that shows he doesn't have a Sam and Dean. He doesn't have a buddy to help him out. He has to go break in himself, start his car himself, stay up by himself till five in the morning. It's more of that isolation still. So when someone Mm -hmm. finally does show up, his neighbor, it literally catches him off guard. And he doesn't know what to do with that. He's not used to... He's so used to being alone and serving others with the phones and with the research that he doesn't register she's flirting with him. It doesn't do anything for him. He's one track focused on literally everyone else. And so it doesn't come into play. And that not only speaks volumes to what he does, again, on the referential surface level. But it. I, this is one of the first scenes that really details the, um, the emotional layers at work here. We have through Jensen's... Because the director is responsible for the performances. That is their main... Well, I, I would say that is their main responsibility.
0: It's probably one of their, their... For TV. Yeah.
1: It's probably one of their main responsibilities. And Jensen is able to get... Bobby to play completely starstruck, caught off guard and not registering this. And that, that comes to light in the fact that he is so isolated that it doesn't register. He is disillusioned, defeated by the idea of even having a chance potentially with someone with, with a new relationship with the change in his routine It truly doesn't register and he has a great performance, I think, that helps signify that it doesn't like like when I first watched it, I was always like, dude, what's wrong with you? She's clearly into you. But it's when you look back and understand what they're trying to say here
0: that him being caught off guard deer in the headlights makes more sense. And by having that neighbor come over, it stresses a few points. When she brings the food over, we understand a portion of that symptomatic meaning that we've been discussing. For example, Bobby chooses his paternal and hunting responsibilities over personal desires. Right. And that feeds into his disillusioned or defeated mentality when this woman comes over, even though there's a potential for breaking the monotonous hunting responsibilities. But this shows that emotional conflict that interweaves within Bobby's life because you know, we have that emotional conflict that strengthens Bobby's selflessness. We can deduce through his disillusion that he does in fact have desires that are independent of his responsibilities. And yet he chooses paternal and hunting responsibilities every single time.
1: I I would say at this point, he's not even aware He's so far removed at this time in the episode. I'm
0: not saying he's aware that she wants to fuck. No, no, no. I'm I... saying aware of <laughs> any relationship outside of hunting. Uh, when two people meet, it doesn't mean he uh, is going to think, Oh, Hey, she wants to have sex. But the fact that a neighbor came over, let's remove uh, sexual desires yeah. completely. When I yeah. say desires, I'm not being sexual. Um, he has no other desires except the responsibilities of hunting and Correct. the responsibilities that he has for Sam and Dean that he has bestowed upon himself. So when someone comes over who is not a part of that world, that social circle, he doesn't know what to do with it. He's completely dumbfounded, confused, because he has no desires outside of his responsibilities. And that's, and
1: that's what I'm saying. I think he's so he's so isolated, so far removed. That it comes across as confusion. Why mm-hmm. is she here? Like, how long have we been neighbors? Like literally six months. Why are you asking? Like he's almost almost like an Asperger's yeah. autism level he response. Know how like to this function. is the definitive he's been so isolated for so long, that human interaction that's not hunter based. What I'm saying is here it doesn't even click. I think they went extreme obliviousness yeah. because later in his subsequent interaction with her. He, he gets it and then is immediately Oh, resigned. you want to touch my penis. And is, like, ah. he, he didn't even get it to the point where she had to say, I lied about the wood chipper to get you here. Yeah. That's when it clicks and, it will, and then immediately falls apart. Yeah, because like, well, she's covered in fucking blood and guts. <laughs> they went so far to that end. I th- I think it worked, but at first I, too, was confused. Like, dude, she's in the What are you doing? So I think that is a good example through the performance being so disillusioned. that Jensen did a good job bringing that about to highlight that main thesis statement of Bobby is so tied to this selfless hunter based lifestyle.
0: Truly reality around him is irrelevant. Yeah, there's no room for any other desires. Wants, cravings, his life is focused on his immediate responsibilities, which again, as you said, goes right back to our thesis statement of Bobby being selfless and perseveres through anguish of all types, even when he could rely on others, he does not. So I think it's fair to say that Jensen did, in fact, convey that through his blocking I feel like we clearly understand now, as you can tell through listening to me and Thomas go back and forth that there are different interpretations, but right. our interpretations still veer right back to the same thesis.
1: I think the food, uh, the, the cobbler is another good example. I think Jensen is, it does a good job yeah, using pie. props as a tool. Bobby and, and Crowley don't share the whiskey. Shows the distance. She hands him a cobbler, a gift of food. He l- looks at it like she handed him a shit sandwich, a sh- like a, a dead body. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "What is this? What do I? What do you want me to do with this?" It's not until later that he finally, once <laughs> the reality has set in and the reward ultimately been lost, does he try to eat it, which is then immediately interrupted.
0: Yeah, and all of that, you know, it. it It strengthens this idea or this notion that Bobby doesn't know how to function outside of his own version of reality, which, you know, looking at it from a mental health standpoint and deriving meaning from this, his inability to interact in anything leisure or recreational is his biggest problem. It's the reason why he is isolated and he is alone, essentially, because Look what happens if you want to contrast these two moments. So you have the neighbor come over with a pie. Blonde yeah. woman, attractive. Nah, doesn't Clearly register. Into him. Yeah. Doesn't register, doesn't even know how to communicate with her. But Rufus comes over with a dead body and it's go time.
1: Yep. Even Jody Mills with the uh, the cop. Yes. He knows exactly what to do. He can interact and have a conversation then. Yeah.
0: And it because shows it's his part of that world. It shows his disconnection from humanity. Yeah. And I feel like all of that is is implied with Jensen's choices of directing. So, when it comes to that portion, would you agree that that's being stated? Oh, absolutely. It? Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, then the next part will be a little different. Uh, we're going to move into the action sequence, which I know is something that you love about oh, Jensen's yeah. directing. Yeah. And I will say, just to start things off, that he he does have a definitive style when it comes to action. It's very in-your-face, very visceral. It's very physical. And I'm not saying other directors and other episodes of Supernatural don't do the same thing. They absolutely do. But every episode he directs.
1: The action is top-notch. Yeah. And what I think, for me, really stands out about it is how well thought out it is. Mm-hmm. It is... So this is it's on a couple of levels. So in the most recent example that we had was the definitively John Wick-esque fight sequence down the hallway where we see actual military combat aspects put into it. But here in this episode, there's a great moment that I, for whatever reason, I just love it. When Bobby throws the Okami into the tree. She smacks. I love that she part. smacks hard, but he's immediately barrel rolls into her. He's running with yeah. her he, as he. he it has it has momentum. Yes, it has punch to it. And narratively it is blocked perfectly because mm-hmm. the ultimate device of her destruction, the wood chipper, is behind. This isn't a blurry punch for punch, pull out a sword, stab way too slow for a real stab to
0: kill anything. Or doing a bunch of cheat blocking so it looks like we're pretty good at action, right. but we're not really. Yeah, this we is
1: can fake it real well. Yeah. He's she is biting at his throat. She claws his face. There is movement. There are things happening that I can visually discern from the movement it's not frankly lazy like so many shows especially movies and unfortunately i would say later seasons demonstrate mm-hmm. you know that was visceral that was suspenseful that was fucking brutal
0: <laughs> like i loved it and just to compile on that um moving into action and how it connects or relates to suspense uh the o- the okami attacking Bobby in the neighbor's house uh, is an example of that directing style, that visceral aspect that we're talking about, the, the savage confrontation built on suspense. Uh, but that's how you do action. A lot of times people think action is simply fight scene, kick, punch, punch gun, pew, pew. But how do you create a true action sequence? Well, you got to utilize various film conventions. And mm-hmm. in this case, they built it on suspense on numerous levels. For example, before the Okami attacks Bobby, there's a delay. This helps build suspense, which is needed because we already know the Okami is probably in the woman's house because right. a few months few moments prior, Rufus told Bobby that the previous victims were single white females. That's why Bobby rushes over mm-hmm. to the neighbor's house. So there's no secret. We know she's there. So right. we know what's coming. The Okami offers no real surprise. So in order to create a dynamic tension. scene, tension, built on tension, suspense. Uh, they need to connect the sequence to a feeling of dread or suspense. And this is important. This is a very important filmic convention for Jensen to employ, as suspense hinges on a delay in an outcome we are anticipating. For example, the scene makes us wait for what we think and sometimes are pretty sure is going to happen. And in contrast to suspense and many times interweaved is the element of surprise, which is absolutely something that they utilize in this in this moment, which results when uh, the scene leads us to expect one thing and something else happens instead. For example, when Bobby searches the bedroom and finds no evidence of the Okami, we feel slightly relaxed for a moment. And that's why when the Okami comes flying out of a dark corner towards the camera, we are startled.
1: Well, they do a great job with juxtaposition Mm -hmm. because Bobby comes in. I got a shotgun. Move out of the way. Holy fuck, you know, and then it slows down. There's no sign and they have a conversation and we slowly pan over and then it's all hell breaks loose again. It's this roller coaster of what to expect which is, which is you know, traditional in some aspects for horror of slow pacing, then jump scare if you're lazy ass. But but this, we all knew what was going to happen, but it's yeah. still effective. Yeah. Because it doesn't, it's not just high octane in your face action all the time to where it means nothing.
0: No, the expectant element surprise, it works concurrently with the action. And that's why it feels so seamless when we go right into that fight scene. Because when you think about it, the suspense. Mm-hmm. Or the feeling of dread that something might happen. Even though we're slightly relaxed because there's nothing in the room. Because Bobby checked. He checked under the bed. Everything's okay. It got away. But the other thing. But too, when the- it flies through, the, through or towards us. Yeah. From the corner. That action. That suspense. Leads so perfectly into the fight sequence. Literally. It happens so quickly. That next thing we know we're all outside.
1: Well and this is a great. I think this entire sequence is a great example of blocking so this is this is I'm having like anger at my work right now because I have a supervisor who doesn't understand film at all who's in charge and so we argue we want to do thought out storyboards plan our stuff and he's somebody who just like yeah we'll show up with a camera that day it'll be fine so a hack a hack yeah. Oh, absolutely mm-hmm. he's a producer through and through who thinks he's a director I
0: think he the S <sighs> oh, but this is this
1: whole sequence is thought out and blocked Very, very well. Bobby is right in front of the window. So him getting thrown through the window makes sense. There's the tree and the wood chipper. The wood chipper is alluded to previously in our conversation from the neighbor. And he throws her into the tree. Why why throw her into the tree rather than just on the ground? Because then when he goes up against her, she can push back and he turns, hits the button on the wood chipper turns it on new threat has been established additional threat all of it is a dance that is planned out ahead of time it's not just standing in the hallway right hook left hook right hook fall down knife stab like that's that's what we're talking about when we say blocking and planning and and the nuance that goes into some of this stuff
0: yeah because there's yeah, because on top of that it, it, scene, it, it escalates within this own scene it escalates. And not just because of the action but because of and and not just because of the camera blocking. That seems like something we are definitely talking about a lot because it has a lot to do with what Jensen's trying to convey to the to the viewer, but th- there are so many layers of suspense. There's so many levels or layers of additional threats that are unseen because when they go outside we get this winner takes all type of action. We know someone's going to die. We hope it's not Bobby. We also kind of hope it's not the neighbor because we are holding out hope for Bobby for to, score. to slay. Yeah. yeah. And on top of this, there is an additional layer of danger, as you mentioned, because Jensen brings to the sequence that wood chipper that we notice in the background that was supposed to be broken. But then when he falls into it and turns well, it on, works. suddenly now we're even more involved the in the fuck. moment because it brings up that level of danger for our characters. And, and this is what I love about Jensen's action
1: yes. sequences. He thinks it through. He likes action not just for what it does and how cool it looks, but for the story it can tell. Mhm. We, we have, have, yeah, it a, can be you part have of it. a story to tell as a director. We no. have <laughs> The, the the fight scene within the 10 seconds, not even, I don't even think, that it is, it escalates. We have the obvious threat, the Okami, trying to bite and eat and stab him. We have the secondary threat. He might get tossed into a clearly well-functioning wood chipper, <laughs> And the tertiary threat to the situation. The neighbor ran out, and she could die, either through wood chipper or violence or accident. So Bobby not only has to worry about the immediate threat in front of him, the environmental threat around him and the protection of an innocent that theoretically we could have an emotional attachment to or, or a connection to, or he could have, an emotional connection to which yeah. he clearly desperately needs. All of these are built upon one another. And you could even make the other argument because of what had previously happened in the episode. There's probably an FBI agent with binoculars staring at you from the highway.
0: And those are all things that we are, even if we're not thinking about them in in a, an overt sense, subconsciously we remember all these layers that have mm-hmm. been added. We know that the FBI agent is lurking about we know that Rufus just escaped from, uh, wait, had he escaped at that point? No, he hadn't. No, not yet. No, not yet. But, but we know about the FBI agent and, yep. of course, the other three threat levels you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So these are all things, as you mentioned, that Jensen does so well because they're multi-layered. They're not just the immediate simplistic threats that so many TV shows utilize. It's... It is stacked on top of each other. Threat after threat. And there's an argument to be made that I, for one, am finding Jensen's style within this discussion. However, there is an argument to be made that a lot of Supernatural's episodes in the earlier seasons were built on these multi-layer functions mm-hmm. that helped propel numerous episodes because one threat was, three, let's say, three Threats were introduced into an episode, you deal with one, and then the second one you deal with two episodes later, and the third one you deal with at the end of the season. Um, but this episode kind of takes all of that, that um, those film techniques that Kripke and his comp- and his team used for those first five years, and they put many of those aspects into the single episode to create this this tension.
1: And, you know, the other thing, too, is that You could make, there's definitely the argument that a lot of this is effective because of the writing of the script. Mm -hmm. The script had to have wood chipper, Okami threat, neighbor runs out. Presumably, I mean, allegedly they could have had changes and his shooting script always looks different. But theoretically, this was laid out in in the blueprint, but he had to be the one to effectively weave all this together. And I think what you said is a good point is that. The earlier episodes did a great job compounding these threats. And I think now that we're talking about it is what I realize is less threatening and impactful about later seasons. Removing so many ancillary characters as the show continued on, especially in its last two years, I would say, resulted in the fight scenes being Sam and Dean versus threat. And I know for damn well that those two are going to be just
0: fine. Well, let us you're absolutely right, Thomas, but let's use this specific discussion today to prove you right. Most of the later seasons, particularly the last three seasons, uh, were more based on referential meaning. It was rather simplistic. There was really just but, the, That's why our discussions got so short. Well, absolutely. The reason why we went from two, three hour discussions to 45 minute to 60 minute discussions on those episodes was because there wasn't enough meaning embedded when you compare it to Carver's run, Gamble's run. And Kripke's run,
1: Carver's run, dude. I mean, compare how long and and when we talk about implicit meaning or implicit, implicit meaning and explicit of Dean's journey as a character and what it's really saying when he was overcome by the mark. We spent like I think one episode mm-hmm. we cut down because we talked for like four fucking hours. I f- it felt like it. About that and what it meant and what it could be. And then you compare some of that to the weaker episodes. Like I know we shit on this one a lot, but the uh, most holy man, there was nothing. It was to all that episode beyond the referential yeah. layer. So there's not, it's, it's not as compelling.
0: Yeah. And just bringing it back to this discussion so we can close out here a bit. When you take all of that and at the end of, when you take all the action sequences, I should say, at the end of the entire action sequence, we once again can derive parts of that symptomatic meeting that we have talked about. The thesis, if you will, to show Bobby's selfless contributions, his perseverance through emotionally trying times. This meaning is clear because despite Bobby facing down threats of hell and losing his soul, he rushes in head first to save his neighbor.
1: He could die and cut his 10 years short
0: to yeah. 10 minutes.
1: Yeah doesn't matter to him it's not even a thought you know and this same meaning is backed by his actions as a parental figure with Sam and Dean when he sits the two of them down and talks some sense into them that is That that's his rage kind of bubbling to the surface but he's not He Sam ends it with all you had to do is ask and he still doesn't even ask that's not who he is. He He's mad that he doesn't get the help, but he's not about to go ask for it necessarily either. And
0: even his conversation with Rufus. And do you want him, though, too? that's no. That's the beauty of this episode, because this episode shows a martyr's journey, essentially. A man who isolates himself willingly because he puts everything and everyone Ahead above him. himself. And there is no resolve well, to this. The in, resolve, it wasn't about resolve. It was about... It was about fleshing out who Bobby is as a person in this hybrid template genre of in a day of a life. What? How's it go? A day of a, a in life. In there we go. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, I'm here. Finally, you pipe in.
1: But e- but even then, you know, you. I fell asleep. Bobby doesn't ask for help because we don't want him to. It's not until at the end with with Sheriff Jody mm-hmm. that he says, I'm not good at asking for help. Yeah. You know, that's our explicit meaning of his character change, mm-hmm. his, his arc within this episode. Selfless, does everything for everybody else, doesn't want to ask Sam and Dean for help, refuses Rufus's explicit help until the very end where he has to acknowledge he needs Rufus and he needs
0: Jody. You I know. I just love what this episode does for Bobby in so many ways because of that selfless aspect and the part he plays in Sam and Dean's life, this episode does do wonders in the way of positioning him. As if we didn't know this already, it doesn't matter. It positions him into the, the parent. The parental
1: figure that he's always yeah, because been. Because
0: this is what parents, at least as what people say parents should do. Parents are supposed to be selfless. They're supposed to put their kids above other things. At least that's what I believe. Um, but I like what they're doing with that because they are they're making that statement. And by doing so, it helps the audience learn so much about Bobby as a character and taking us back to this moment, remembering that this is season six and also take into account that we've already had, what, four years roughly of Bobby, maybe five years of Bobby being a big part of the show. Yeah.
1: Five years. Well, four in an episode. <laughs>
0: even though they have never been light on Bobby and they've definitely given, given us enough episodes to where we understand who this person is. It wasn't until this episode that we fully understood him. That's why this episode stands so high for me and why I feel like it's an achievement for Jensen as a director, as well as Andrew Dabb and his writing partner, Daniel Laughlin because they managed to encapsulate or highlight Capture who he was. Capture, yeah, capture who Bobby is or was in a singular episode that relied on everything that we've seen before, but just made it more clear and defined.
1: There's there's enough to go through from a directing side with all this that we'd be here for quite some time because that's just what we do. We have we have a problem and we're not seeking help for it. We're not. It's a big problem, guys.
0: But um, mostly for Ryan right now.
1: But there's enough here (laughs) to to try and ascertain whether or not there are enough stylistic markers that make up Jensen's directing techniques, his vision, his style as a whole, I'd say. The one thing that uh, we should touch on that we haven't yet is Jensen does a lot with intimacy. Not like that, Ryan. (laughs) Between, because I mean, there's not only how we see how much of Bobby and Jim Beaver brings to life his his internal emotional struggles his issues that he's dealing with you know we get a sense of the man who is alone on the brink fighting off damnation on one hand trying to save neighbors on the other and with a non-existent third hand help literally everyone who's ever called or needed help from him and he gets no thanks or reward you know jack and squat as he said and it's hard for us to watch that because it is a very intimate look at this character who for the longest time we've only seen as Bobby can do anything. Bobby has the answers. Bobby's who you call when you're in the shit. But I also think from a blocking aspect of what Jensen does, I mean, I still think about Crowley. I think Crowley's the greatest example of how he has his, his actors move. His scenes. When Bobby releases him from the... the the trap the devil's trap they get within inches of each other it's this fucking staring contest dick measuring contest who blinks first he does the same thing with sam and dean him walking between the two of them and telling them to get bent he has his characters get very very close because it's an intimidating personal intimate moment it's this same thing that, you know, a kiss between two characters means passion and all this stuff. Mm. Here, the anger is brimming at the surface. And it, it's very threatening. You know, I think about other shows like The Boys, which we talk about all the time now. A character like Butcher or... um. And frankly, any of them really, but getting in your face is an immediate threat. Homelander getting in your face, taking that step closer. It's invading your space. It's personal. He does that a lot with his style. And I think that is a a marker with
0: the acting, the action sequences. They're intimate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that might be one of the things that stands out perhaps the most to me. I mean, what, Mike. For you, what other what things stood out to you? Have you decided if you feel like he has a style yet? Is it a little too early to tell?
0: It's a little too early to tell in the ways of thematics, mm-hmm. but style, I do feel like we can point to a style. And maybe I'm cheating because I remember his other episodes uh, when it comes to action. But actions, I, a I, I feel high like high point. Yeah, I feel like when it comes to style, stylistic choices. Jensen definitely has a vision that's very clear and it comes through that I can definitively say after our first episode on Jensen's directing the other elements, um, the, the the things that I took away from this specific episode in the, in the way of thematics uh, paternal familial, which is kind of the same. Yeah. Uh, and then overextending oneself uh, isolation. So keeping that in mind, as we move forward into the next discussions uh, about jensen 's directing, we will put these in the show notes as well and see if we could back up formulate yeah and back reinforce that, up. that but could we agree that definitely stylistic aspects yeah. are there for Jensen?
1: I would say absolutely the visceral action is absolutely a high point of what he does, and it 's in all of his examples, and it 's something he puts a lot of thought into. I would say for me thematically or at least. Tone's not the right word, but the intimacy. He he has his I would characters say that's
0: blocking. I would throw it under blocking.
1: His characters have very deep conversations about what's bothering wow. them. The characters move in ways that are intimate. The fight scenes are intimate. They're not these blurry, you know. And we get through the action. It's all in your face mm-hmm. and has a lot heavier meaning because it's personal to them at that moment. Yeah. So I think he likes to bring that across, but that might, that's not fully formed yet. Yeah. So I think you might be onto something though. Yeah. For sure. Ryan, well, do you have anything sexual to add? Uh, no, actually I don't. I think,
2: <laughs> I think it's too early, at least for me, because obviously like you guys see things that I don't see. So like I, I do, obviously the action is, you know, up there for that's one thing that I would definitely notice. I think it's too early for me. Obviously I don't remember. I remember the episodes, but I don't remember them like visually. Mm-hmm. So I need to probably see, I would say probably one or two more before I can really make an assessment. i like, I will say, I remember
1: of- the last one, atomic monsters, atomic monsters, monsters and this yeah. one, cause I just rewatched it the most.
2: So yeah. I, I think for me, it's, I, I definitely need to see one or two more episodes before I can actually really make it a, a definitive, mm-hmm. like, you know, and, and I, and I think that goes back to my question of like this being his first episode, Do you have a style the first time you go out or are you just feeling yourself out? I think you have
1: things that you want to do and that are important to you, but you're not really developed a style yet. I think it's one
2: of those things, too, where, like, I relate it to, like, shots and stuff that I do for YouTube. Like, I know there's a specific shot that I want. But sometimes I'm like, well, how the fuck do I get that? Yeah. And I think it's over time just learning, obviously, like, yeah, yeah. experimenting and, do, and you know, you, doing your work. What craft. works, what doesn't. What does Yeah, exactly. So I think with this one, I think as his maiden voyage of directing, I feel like maybe he's kind of experimenting a little bit. Yeah. And I think where he excels is obviously the action. And I maybe we'll see more of that as we do this series but I think for me it's one or two more episodes and I can really kind of give you an answer on that
0: yeah I'm I'm. yeah same I mean yeah. I, I would definitely I mean let's agree. let's let's be honest like this it's this a great is, episode it's but it's fucking hard, great episode. it's hard to tell for sure if it's yeah. great because of the writing yeah. or because of Bobby the, or the acting or if right. it's because of Jensen and honestly I don't think we can
2: answer that i don't think we can pinpoint it i don't think i don't think we can pinpoint it because as we're watching this episode it's like you said to thomas this was a very big world building episode there's things that happen in this episode that that change supernatural going forward so like it's it's not only a very important episode but it's also so it's written well it's funny and and it's not funny in a way of like you know, oh, it's trying too hard to be funny. It's, it's subtle, subtle just and well done. Subtle, funny,
0: which I will say is possibly another aspect, another Possible aspect of, of Jensen's style, style because be. he does put he does put some humor. Now, in now, his can, compare it to episodes that don't quite understand. And believe it or not, there are writers that don't understand Dean's characterization and just make him a buffoon. Right, but yeah, if you look at the the humor. That's in the episodes that he directs. It's more on par with earlier Dean. It's more subtle humor. It's more. I'm a funny.
2: Yes. So let me ask you this. Okay. This is a, this is a non-person. This is a non-film person question for someone to direct Mm -hmm. and then also star. That's got to be even harder than just
1: directing. Correct. That's why he wasn't in it. That's much. much. It's right. I would say it depends um on skill level no, On skill level and Experience. comfort yeah more than anything if if the directing take is going to take the majority of his brain power but he knows exactly the performance he wants for himself oh, that so makes i would sense say his yeah. exact his acting bits would be that way. a little bit easier cuz you don't have to coach whomever What you want to see for just you. Yeah, you know, you know what's working for you. Exactly. uh, Okay.
2: Okay. And you can make your own adjustments. Right. Yeah. Okay. So
1: that part's a little bit easier, but the the project as a whole. Yeah. That's why you're not in it as much or, you know, yeah. That's why you and Sam and Dean weren't in it very much. Correct. Okay. Um, I agree. I think it's this is one point on a graph. We need another point before we can start making any sort of trends or observations about
0: style. And now that's not to say that the meaning that we've all just been going over, isn't there because it is, but we don't know if that is building to something. Is that meaning there because Jensen wants to bring that out or did he bring it out because that's what he focused on in the script. Right. If that makes sense. Right. Because if we go watch the next episode and there's still this idea of, you know, you know, putting an importance on paternal uh, responsibility, Yeah. Then we can say, okay, there's something here for sure that Jensen is utilizing that's not just from the script.
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, and again, this is a great episode. So it is a little bit harder to differentiate some of that stuff, but. Hopefully this has been an interesting conversation for everybody. Hopefully this has given people something different to look at when they rewatch this episode or when they look at episodes in general. Whether it's this episode of Supernatural or any show you're watching or a movie even.
0: And the reason why I wanted to do this was because a lot of listeners were talking about Ryan's episodes early in the season of our podcast season. And people said they love it. They think it's funny. They die laughing and they said that they love those breaks they said but we do like the technical stuff as well um and i figured okay well we talk about writing a lot Mm -hmm. because in my opinion that's the foundation of every of everything if you don't have the blueprint which is the script then you can't build shit yeah and we don't always get into the directing and what the directing actually entails many times because people think most people have this very generic idea of what directing is. Okay, I'm going to kill, call action and then cut. Behind the camera. Yeah, there's a lot more involved. So that's why I chose to do this and I want to do it with Jensen because of the way because of the way his direction.
1: His career directory. The
0: way his career is going. Yeah. yeah.
1: So hopefully people enjoyed this. Let us know what you thought. Uh, if there's anything specific that we didn't touch on that you have questions about or if more you're Ryan. just curious. More me. More Ryan, you know, Uh, let us know and (laughs) please be sure to check out the Patreon and share that with anybody, you know, who's a supernatural fan. All of that does more for us than you guys can imagine. It helps us continue to make content and continue to keep the lights on because None of this is cheap. And I drove three hours for two two hours of recording. So that's, that's a lot of what we're looking at right now.
0: We do need that assistance. And also iTunes, please. That's our preferred podcast provider. Obviously we're pretty much everywhere. You listen to podcasts or where you can listen to podcasts, but our preferred is iTunes. We need people to give us reviews and ratings. It's how we justify doing the show. There's two ways. Patreon and iTunes ratings. If you can't contribute to Patreon because your finances doesn't allow a dollar or $5 or $10, um, then we, I understand that. However, we do have that iTunes that you can help us. We do need that. I know we have like 130, I think reviews or ratings and we have 75,000 times that in listeners. So please, if you've never left us a review or a rating, please do so. A rating is preferred at this point. I don't even care about the review. If you don't want to spend time doing a review, we need the ratings because that's what a lot of other companies now look at. And what I mean by companies, if yes, because uh, podcast downloads are not public and they can be flubbed and cheated by a lot of people who have been creative out there lately. Um, The best way to gauge uh, the interaction or the uh, popularity of a podcast Legitimacy. is by yeah. looking at those reviews and ratings. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately it's a bit of a catch 22. People don't leave ratings yeah. and reviews. I mean, there are big time people that are on iTunes celebrity podcasts, and they have like 30 reviews, which doesn't add up because people just don't do it. So if you can please give us those ratings, five star preferably, it helps us get seen by more people because it triggers algorithms. And also it helps us do more with our show in the future uh, like going to conventions Doing uh, more, yeah. uh, continuing
1: we, uh, to do the show yeah It's all part of the the algorithm that we're all slaves to these days
0: it seems did we mention <laughs> patreon like the what the link we didn't did we no not well no, i said no. you know, share it okay patreon.com slash rayman digital pledge and when you do pledge anywhere between one to ten dollars or twelve dollars a month or fifteen dollars a month you actually gain access to additional discussions with the dollar tier. You get, you gain access to all of our retrospective, uh, no, not retrospective archive shows, Mm -hmm. shows that we've done years ago that are now being released on Patreon every Monday. We also have a 10 minutes at the crossroads discussion that comes out on that dollar tier. And then we have a $3 tier where you have access to all of what I just said. In addition to our behind the scenes discussions, like our pre-shows, And then the $5 tier is our podcast tier where you gain access to everything I just mentioned and additional discussions that we do. And of course our retrospective discussions are available at that $10 tier where we break down past episodes that we get into because we weren't doing these discussions when those episodes aired. Correct.
1: So if you guys are fans, be sure to share that with anybody, you know, we thank you all for listening. We thank you all for anything you guys can do And we will see you all next time. You little maggot. Uh, You're no longer part of my penis. You little maggot. You are no longer a part of this story. Hey, ass butt.